Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. Tuesday, March the 9th, when we come out of this, we are going to be looking for things to do, right? Well, Waterfront Toronto has some pretty impressive plans for an area called East Bayfront. We'll talk to them about what they plan to build in a dusty parking lot. And the news on the latest cartoon character to get the boot. Here's a hint. It stinks. But first, I don't know about you, but I expect that we are going to see a few more babies being born. There, People have been either this pandemic has done um, one of two things. Either you become really close to who you're with or you've actually become more distant from who you're with. But if you are close to who you're with, uh, maybe you've been uh, spending some alone time, some mommy daddy time, some adult time, and it's going to result in a lovely baby. I actually, I think I know of like two or three people that have had babies during the pandemic. And it's been a scary time because, um, you know, the uncertainty of, of going to hospitals during this pandemic to deliver your baby is one thing. Uh, also that uh, pregnant women seem to be at higher risk. But the province right now has some great news that they will be moving pregnant women into its priority list of recipient, recipients in the next phase of their COVID-19 vaccination plan. Here to talk about it, Dr. Constance Nacello, who is the president of the Ontario Society of Obstruction obstetricians and gynecologists. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Kelly. Little bit of a mouthful. Um, let's <laughs> let's start off with pregnancy being a risk factor. Why is pregnancy such a risk factor for more severe symptoms? Well, pregnant women actually are uh, by nature immune suppressed. And uh, we have to be in order for the fetus to develop because the, the fetus is actually not identical to our DNA. So it could be recognized as foreign. So that ability is somewhat suppressed when you're pregnant, which means you open to worse um, effects if you get infected with uh, um, certain illnesses. Makes a lot of sense because you're dealing with half of your DNA and half of somebody else's DNA to to combine into a new form. That is correct. All right. So the, the original concern around uh, vaccines, because you would think if there's a higher risk factor of severe symptoms, boy, we've got to get pregnant women vaccinated. They have to be high on the list. But that wasn't the case. Originally, the province was uh, looking at, at them and, and thinking this might be an area where you want to hold off and hit the pause button. What was the concern? Um, well, the concern was uh, the uh, initial guidance that was put out by the National Advisory Committee on uh, Immunization had said uh, it, because they were excluded, they were excluding them from the vaccine. And uh, you may recall we had a, a, a campaign in January that was actually very successful in uh, bringing uh, the province and NASI up to date on what the rec- recommendations were from all of the obstetrical societies in North America. Um, and uh, I was quite impressed at how quickly um, they changed their guidance. And the and vaccine was, task force changed it that evening and on paper later the week. What was your major argument for giving the uh, vaccine to pregnant women? Well, in uh, obstetricians have always had to look at the science when it comes to any medications because nothing's been tested in pregnancy since the 60s. Um, so we had to make those kinds of decisions every day. Mm-hmm. whether something is safe for someone to get for a particular illness in pregnancy. So for this one, we went back to the science of the uh, mRNA vaccines. And really, there was there's no um, virus in them. 
There's no concerning um, chemicals or adjuvants. And the only um, known immune re- oh, excuse me, the only known allergy is to polyethylene glycol, which is a really common uh, medication used for uh, constipation. So um, it, most most people that actually have that allergy are very aware of it. Right. Um, it's It's a rare allergy. A very rare allergy. And so uh, based on those things, and what we had uh, had been seeing so far from women already being vaccinated in the U.S., um, uh, we allowed to actually have it available for women to make that choice in Ontario. So the the evidence, the growing body of evidence, was from people that had been vaccinated during pregnancy. So this was their lived experience that was informing you on how uh, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine would perform in pregnant women. Yes, and the Americans have uh, just published some of their preliminary data that was alluded to by Dr. Fauci about a week or so ago, um, that they now have over 100,000 pregnant women who've been vaccinated, and it appears to be very safe that there were no um, no concerning reactions from it, and that's wonderful. Yeah, I believe I was reading something the other day that they're finding that they're, that the antibodies uh, needed to fight COVID-19 that they're finding some of the women that have been uh, vaccinated are showing, uh, the, the antibodies being passed on to the fetus. What, what have you heard about that? If any? Yes, I've seen, uh, one, uh, so far I've seen one case report, um, where the, uh, woman was vaccinated at 37 weeks and baby delivered at full term, which is 40 weeks. And the baby had antibodies already to COVID-19. So that's really encouraging news. Um, and that's exactly what we hoped would happen. Is there a specific term that you f- still feel maybe we hold off uh, on getting the vaccine? Or are you good to go? This this idea that uh, pregnant women can move on to get vaccinated during the next phase of, of the rollout. Oh, I'm very happy that we can move on with this. Because okay. I know our our patients are asking about it. And um, we're trying to do as much education as we can with our patients about uh, the pros and cons and the fact that, uh, you know, so far it's been demonstrated to be safe for pregnant women. Is there any con at all? Not that I can think of. (laughs) Because even, I mean, pregnant women are in the same category as other people that are immune suppressed. Um, So, you know, it's equally as bad as someone, not not bad, but compromised as someone that's on a biologic. Mm-hmm. Um, for rheumatoid arthritis, for instance. Um, and uh, that that only goes away, that risk, six weeks postpartum. Um, so it's something that will protect mom and baby afterwards. So now, I think Sus- that's a story. Saskatchewan is the only other province to uh, include pregnant people. Uh, are you shocked that that we're there's only two provinces out of all the provinces in Canada and territories that are saying okay let's let's get our the, these people that are extremely vulnerable uh, vaccinated. I I am surprised, um, and I hope that they will follow suit quickly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you're listening right now, you will uh, know that if we get the vaccines coming in at the rate they're coming in, then the second stage. Things will start here in Ontario in April. So if you're pregnant, 
Mark it down on your calendar. You can get in for your vaccination sometime in April. Doctor, do you think we're going to see, um, because you, you mentioned they are high risk, are we going to see this group of people, uh, pregnant women, heading out to max vaccine clinics, or is it going to be done in the doctor's office? I think So at this point, we really only have evidence for the mRNA vaccines, okay. and those are being given at the mass uh, vaccination site simply because of the storage issues, um, the cold storage issues. Uh, so right now, that's where I would uh, recommend that women go um, as evidence starts to mount. And we actually get vaccines in doctor's offices and other locations. Um, those ones will be the AstraZeneca and J&J vaccines, just because they don't have the issues around cold storage. All right. So but and but we don't know about the efficacy on, on pregnant women with those Vaccines yet, you said? No, we don't. We're still in a, we don't know. And if you have a choice, get the uh, mRNA vaccine. All right. I want to thank you for your time, doctor. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Pleasure talking with you too, Kelly. All right, Sherry. The courtship is over. Oh, the adoration. Oh, the je vous adore. The je t'aime à vous, ma sugar, n'est-ce pas? You are my peanut. I am your brittle. And then she runs away. Uh, Pepe Le Pew, latest to get the boot. He is not going to be appearing on Space Jam 2. I didn't see the first one. I apologize. I think it just wasn't my jam, so to speak. Uh, but uh, the upcoming Space Jam, a new legacy film, he is like, <sighs> he's getting the boot. I think they already shot something uh, with the character, but they decided they're going to take him out of that. And he will not be in any of the company's projects moving forward. Why? Because he aggressively kisses and grabs female characters against their will and he normalizes. I am your brittle. He normalizes uh, rape culture. So they say. And listen, if you're saying this is the latest camp cancel culture, give me a break. Cancel culture was not the first one to point out that Peppy was creepy. I mean, I think it might have been my gut when I was a little kid. So we watching the show and you just be like, oh, OK, it's the cat and the, the skunk one again. This is awkward. You just it's like time to pee. It wasn't, Rob? Yeah, you're Are right. you with me on and that? How does it's the like, cat keep getting a, a white stripe painted down his back? Like, come on. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Every single time. Listen to him. He's like, oh, my God. And the poor, I mean, the poor cat, Chris, you must have noticed this, suffering from a serious case of PTSD, just from Still. being anywhere outside its house. Its <laughs> eyes were like saucers. Oh, it's doe-eyed. It's a doe-eyed little cat. But the character doe-eyed. of Pepe was, it was, it was, the. If I had a major problem with it when I was young was that it was predictable. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, here's the cat. Now there's some wet paint and it's going to get <laughs> exactly. a stripe down its back. And then here comes so, Pepe to be a creep again. And then like, <laughs> the cat's going to find I turn something into, to hit him. With. And I'll get a new pet and I call him Fred. That's a good one. George. <laughs> Don't bring that one George, into the yeah. Pepe. Don't start the cancel culture ball rolling on that one. And I will love him and squeeze him and call him George. Was that mixing two of them up? Or was that the same one with the little cat I mean, it could be taking a nap on his back? Um, I just, I, yeah, Foghorn Leghorn, but also just one of those ones. But let's, let's stick with Pepe Le Pew. The first person to point this out besides your gut when you were a kid going, okay, this is a weird cartoon, 
um, is it was Dave Chappelle notably said this in 2013. It's what it is. They, they use the, the TV to program us from a young age. You ever watch like a cartoon as you used to watch me a little as an adult? It's wild. Some wild. I mean, like I was with my nephew. We sitting there, we watching Peppy the Pew. And I say to my nephew, I say, now pay attention to this guy because he's funny. I used to watch him when I was little. And then we watched the Peppy the Pew, and I'm old now. I'm looking like, good God, what kind of rapist is this guy? Like, take it easy. <laughs> my nephew was sitting there cracking up. <laughs> See, sometimes you gotta take the like Peppy. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I had to turn the channel real quick. Yeah, there was no doubt about it. Pepe was a boy and, and the cat was a female. And the other thing that was really, I mean, to me, it was obvious Pepe was a creep. He was a skunk. They made it pretty obvious. He's a skunk. What animal don't you want to be near? It's a skunk. Even my dog knows to back away from a skunk now after getting sprayed. But that's a totally other story. But my question to you is, was Pepe irredeemable? Like, couldn't they have just rewritten Pepe? For 2020? They would have had to change the character completely. I don't think so. I mean, I mean, but really, how much would they could have done a maybe Pepe learned a lesson? Maybe, maybe the humor now is Pepe. He, he will not even approach. It's like all he can do. He's like, he's like, have you ever seen the party where Peter Sellers has to go to the washroom and he's like just trying to leave the room while the girl's serenading everybody? And he's like, flipping his body on the wall because he's trying to get out inconspicuously like maybe that's the humor behind pepe now like maybe it's his awkward humor maybe they could have done that could they not have changed the character that's my question 416-870-6400 i'm about to lose my voice and go into a coughing fit again so if you want to help me out on this 416-870-6400 uh i think Pepe was one of those characters as a kid that gave me the, the creeps just because it, it, well, there are a lot of arguably the, the beauty of Looney Tunes was it was written mainly for adults, but kids could watch it too. But there were a lot of uh, storylines that were aimed at adults, but it's just not funny. It's like watching Benny Hill chase somebody around in underwear. Like mm, that's the cartoon version. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Was there no way to fix this guy? The problem is in my mind, yeah, sure, it's great culture. That's part of it. But part of it is also the old stereotype, French people stink. And well, that's that's to do with that French accent. I thought it was the French are lovers. No? Uh, you know, but, you know, he, that's why they don't like him, because he smells bad. And, oh, it's a moor and all that sort of stuff. So I think you're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place there. If you change his sexual attitude... That's fine, but you still have the underlying aspect of is a French character. It stinks. All right. Interesting. <laughs> so no cool. way to fix it. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. You kind of said between a rock and a hard place because certain political groups will say, oh, you're being racist if you get rid of him because he has a white stripe down his back and he stinks. That's what you're inferring. And then in the other corner or the same no, group. Not, I don't know if it's that. inferred. It's obvious. He's a skunk. They stink. They've got a white stripe down their back. Well, I didn't. Okay, well, well, let me hurt before I forget, guys. I have short-term memory problems. And the next version is, um, all they had to do was adjust his character. What was my second version? I don't know what the second version was. It was something along the lines. Sounding like um, me now. That's a joke, boy. You missed it. Went right past you. <laughs> um. Okay. Anyway. Uh. Basically. Okay. So. Uh, what was I going to say? Nonetheless, we should. Know, we should. We should keep. We should keep it because at least we can. Um. Know 
what's not right. Because I also thought it wasn't right. So I looked kind of like not right. But I, yeah. I, I, well, here's what I was going to say. It's like the poor cat. Yeah, I did say that when I was like four years old. But here's what it is. Sometimes these political agenda groups act like they're coming under a noble cause, but they're really using some of a sweet, good-hearted idealist and numbers for their political agenda, mm. but they're going to come up with a different character later on where it's not male or female, and, and they're going to say that this and that's okay, and they'll call me Mrs. Anderson or Mr. Thompson as their teacher, and they're going to try and remove one, and when one door closes, mm-hmm. another door opens. So I thought you said when, I thought you were going to say when one door closes, you just open the window. I'm confused. Appreciate the call, though, John. Hey, Terry. Yeah. I think that they this is an opportunity to, to, to turn Pepe into something interesting. Yes. Pepe comes out of the closet. He's gay. He's just going after male characters now. Everybody's happy. You think that would make people happy? He'd still well, be aggressive because he was doing a lot without consent. Let's. I think that was the whole point. And I think we've gotten to a place where I don't know that you could do that. But I think this is an opportunity to make a character that like is just completely awkward navigating the reality of where we're at right now and what is okay and what isn't okay. And there could be a lot of humor in that. Yeah, it could be. I I don't know if that's really Pepe, Pepe though, because Pepe was full of confidence. Oh, yeah. He definitely was full of confidence. I mean, I I appreciate the call. And uh, Kyle, I always felt uncomfortable with Pepe as a kid. It could have been... I think it's a little from column A, the predictability. It was like, okay, I know how this is going to go. And a lot from column B, which was the poor cat, is was left in the back of my mind. What is no one going to help the cat? Yeah, I still fail to understand the, the what's funny about those old little Pepe Le Pew skits. And I don't really remember. I am the peanut. You are the brittle. It was basically that stuff. I don't know stuff. what he just said. I don't know what he said in the original. <laughs> I think he was always unfunny. And they're yeah. looking like good guys and using this as an excuse to get rid of them. Tweety Bird, Bugs, and Taz. That's all you need for Space Jam. Tweety they Bird? Were... Is Tweety Bird not a Looney Tune? Yeah, but not funny. You found Tweety yeah, Bird but... a funny storyline? Tweety Bird's hilarious. Because nobody, because the cat Sylvester's always after him, and he's just being a smart ass, chirping away like just out of range. Oh, I always found him irritating. I was like, you know, this one, this is another bathroom break moment. Tell me when Granny's <laughs> done should... beating him with a with a umbrella. Now, now that uh, that now that Kyle mentions it, a yeah. lot of the story was basically Tom and Jerry. Like it's all cat and mouse games. Whether it's Pepe and the cat, or it's the Roadrunner and the uh, and the and the Coyote, or mm-hmm. or it's uh, or it's Almer Fudd and Porky Piggers. It's always someone after someone else in Looney Tunes. It's a two man game of a little hunt and a chase, and it, maybe it's more funny when it is the aggressor who keeps getting who keeps getting beaten who keeps getting outsmarted so yeah. it's funnier to see sylvester lose it's funnier to see the road runner you know whose name is mud it's it's works out better for the funny bone when the person doesn't keep getting caught which is what's happening in the peppy Le Pew skit but i think that you're right kelly that there was an opportunity to have a little bit of a maybe bugs has to pull peppy aside and be like Hey, man, listen, it's 2021. You can't just and grab ladies that, like can that. You see, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. been some changes here. Eh? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why all of a sudden he's baby Finsta's shaving. Um, <laughs> can I, you, you brought up there's another character in Space Jam changing. 
Yeah, the bunny. Lola Bunny was in Space Jam. She's the the girl bunny that all the the only the you, only girl. You mean Bugs character. Bunny dressed up? For- now this one is actually not 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 the Bugs Bunny that makes you feel funny because he looks so pretty all dressed up, but the Bugs the the lady bunny who is uh, also on the team. And she uh, was more curvaceous, had mm-hmm. a little bit more um, in the bust section, a little bit wider hips and stuff like that, that uh, in the original. And now they've gone to desexualize her to make her seem a, a little less of it. Maybe her, her shorts are a little bit longer. She's wearing mm-hmm. bicycle shorts under her basketball shorts. Okay. She seems to have depubertized, so she's lost her breasts. And people are upset about that, too. Well, also, they Michael Jordan isn't in it, right? It's LeBron James. That's true. Yeah. yeah, so that's another character that's changed. Just bringing that up, that's all. <laughs> Canceled Michael Jordan. That's right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I can't get a word in ways. Talk, talk, talk. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Stick around. All right, welcome to it. Here we are at the final segment of our show for Tuesday, March the 9th. And we're getting super local here uh, because Waterfront Toronto has released the vision and the renderings for this ambitious uh, plan. It's a slip located at the foot of Parliament Street in an area, as Chris said, has just been renamed recently called East Bayfront Neighborhood. Welcome to the show, Chris Glaciak. He's a chief planning and design officer at Waterfront Toronto. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Hi, thanks, Kelly. Great to be here. Well, listen, these plans, these renderings look pretty impressive. Uh, Waterfront Toronto is saying that this would be world class. It'll be a public destination for everything from swimming to kayaking to entertainment. Uh, there are talks of a floating restaurant in a water amphitheater, which begs the question, what the heck is a water amphitheater? Well, uh, you, you've, you've summed the project up well. It's really a, a complete makeover of the Parliament slip. It's a fairly disused former industrial slip, and we want to transform it into a world-class destination that really reorients the city back to the water. Uh, I think we saw during COVID a huge amount of interest in using the waterfront, and people want to get out there, so we want to make that happen. Uh, the, the water amphitheater specifically is amphitheater-style seating uh, that would be in the form of uh, sort of a generous steps of this wooden structure and you could bring in a floating barge for performances. People could also just sit and watch the activities of which there'll be many going on in the slip. Okay. So it's, it's sort of like, uh, I believe, I mean, this is a weird thing to compare it to, but the Coliseum used to be flooded and they used to actually bring in water shows. Battlements. <laughs> well, you know, that so that's what we're talking about too. We're, we're, we're putting in the infrastructure for a lot of different things to happen. The focus, though, is more on the act of recreation, um, mm-hmm. really, because we're looking at building uh, our first kind of right on the water downtown swimming pool that would be like some of the great projects that we've seen in Europe where they've built harbor baths, where people are basically feel like they're swimming right in the harbor, even though they're swimming in a pool. And it creates a whole different way of experiencing the city. And then the ability to rent kayaks and rent electric boats, as you mentioned, um, will also be great ways for people to get down to and onto the water. And um, floating restaurant and concessions will, you know, create places for people to eat, people to get food, people to do mm-hmm. a little bit of shopping, perhaps, uh, and have a kind of have some leisure time on the waterfront. And when you then, talk, um, can I just yeah, interrupt for a second? When you talk about yeah. a floating restaurant, how, like, how do you actually uh, manage to, to work that? Is it built uh, you know, outside and then brought in or, you know, like, or, or is it like driven in? 
Yeah, well, I, they, they've been done different ways, but there are models of these around the, um, around the world as well. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you can, you can basically build uh, a, a floating structure um, that is robust enough to have a building on it. That's not uncommon. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can have the equipment for a restaurant in it and you can have dining on it. And um, so this one would probably be built somewhere else and then floated in and then attached to, uh, you know, to a series of, uh, of moorings uh, with gangways up to the land so that, um, you know, you'd really have the experience of dining right down on the water. Although you've got some renderings going on, this is still in the planning stage, correct? That is correct. So when are we looking at maybe making, turning this into a reality? Because right now we're talking about an area that, correct me if I'm wrong, is basically dusty parking lot. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a dusty parking lot on the east side. And so there's a lot of steps that have to happen. The slip itself is old and needs a structural stabilization. That would be the first step. Um, we think we could start on that as early as in about a year, year and a half, year or two from now. Uh, and then once that's done, then the other work would happen. And uh, depending on availability of funding, that will determine the schedule by which we uh, we can deliver it. But you know, this is really the next the next frontier on our waterfront. As you mentioned, there's the East Bayfront community and the Bayside project are underway. Uh, and this is kind of where we've we've arrived to. We're building a building on the west side of the slip, and it's now time to look at the slip itself. So um, it 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 certainly will be um, in a time frame. Uh, of, of all our lifetimes, uh, I can't tell you if it's going to be two years or four years, um, but uh, that's pretty we're, ambitious. We're confident we can do it soon. Yeah. Wow. Um, and six years. Maybe. So <laughs> I, I can't. I can't actually give a hard time frame. We don't have one. We don't have a phasing strategy. We're still uh, working that out. But you know, it's 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 really. You know, Waterfront Toronto's delivered a lot of great public realm projects over the years, and this is kind of our next big one. So um, we're we're hoping to get going on it. The things you mentioned, you know, the, the floating restaurant, the water amphitheater, canoeing, kayaking, they're all seasonal, basically summer seasonal activities. Is there any any kind of plan to, you know, maybe you change the uh, water amphitheater into some sort of skating rink in the winter to, to winterize this so that it's it's usable space, outdoor space 24-7? You know, Kelly, you should think about a career in urban planning because that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, there are pools in the world that can be converted into skating rinks. Uh, the pool would also have a splash pad um, for, for kids so that it's a, it's really a family recreation area that can be converted into skating. There are also uh, cities now that are putting uh, bubbles over their pools so that they can use the pools year round. That's another possibility. And then even another, um, which is a little bit more of a stretch, um, but there have been people musing about, should we have uh, outdoor steam baths and saunas uh, as, as part of our uh, part of our public realm network on the waterfront? So we'll, we'll even look at the feasibility of that. Uh, but I think skating or possibly uh, seasonally enclosing the pool is the most likely option so that uh, this won't sit there empty in the wintertime. Good to know. Now I'm going to ask you a question that you're going to probably want to take back that compliment you just gave me. Uh, and, and that is, you know, we're dealing with a situation where the pandemic has been really cruel to Toronto. We, we are hurting for funds. How much is this going to cost and where do we get the money? Well, so I don't have a figure for you on the cost. Um, we're still doing the studies. I mentioned the structural rehabilitation work that has to happen. We haven't even gotten out there to do the investigations. Uh, that is often one of the biggest costs in any of the park projects we build is not the park, but the infrastructure underneath it. This waterfront is old. Uh, and in many cases, every all the infrastructure that's there needs to be replaced. So we'll have to do a full due diligence to understand 
what's involved, and that will that will be a big component of the cost. Um, in terms of funding, Waterfront Toronto is committing, uh, going to commit some of its own land sale revenues uh, to pay for this, to contribute towards it. Uh, we will be looking to some of our partners, uh, possibly the federal and provincial government, uh, to help with this. Uh, but we think, to your point about COVID, um, you know, I think the city manager, Chris Murray, has, has always talked now about building back better and that Toronto needs to build back better. And what he means by that is we need, we need to build the city that people want to use uh, in times like this. And what we've seen is a huge increase in desire of people to get on the waterfront during COVID. If you were down at any stretch of the, of the waterfront across the whole city of Toronto, you would have seen record numbers of people. You see people carting their kayaks across the road, people driving their inflatable boats across lawns to launch them. People want to be on the water, especially when they can't get out and they can't go far afield. So we think this project really fits into a kind of post-pandemic recovery and a preparedness strategy. So we're hopeful uh, that we can get um, some support from our uh, our government partners. It, it sounds pretty spectacular. I hope everything goes well, and I hope we get it done in, what, two to four years? Okay, six. Chris, so, thanks for joining us. Maybe six, yeah. <laughs> give us, let me get back to you on the schedule, okay? <laughs> All right, deal. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. Have a great day. Chris Glacik is uh, Chief Planning and Design Officer at Waterfront Toronto. It sounds like pretty sweet... Uh, Sweet project that they're planning on putting together just uh, to the east of Chorus Key, where we should be normally, but one day. And that's it for today's podcast. We'll be back here again tomorrow, same place.